mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Robert? I'm feeling really tender. Wow, really? In what, what, in what way? Where are you tender? I think tender is such an incredible word. And looking at the artists we're going to meet today, I've been mm. looking a lot at his work, and um, tenderness is a theme that kind of runs throughout it. And it's something that really struck me as being quite unique because his work is often depicting um, kind of autobiographical scenes. And I think when he was growing up, he used to paint his siblings and then he um, came out as gay and then started to uh, paint his lovers or partners. And there's something about the tenderness, the kind of pr presentation of that in the work that deeply touched me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a gay person myself growing up, you'd often, f that's kind of something that you don't necessarily automatically understand straight mm. away I think I, mm. I, I didn't anyway and I think tenderness and intimacy are kind of things that are very complex for a lot of my gay friends as well and yeah but to see the connection between two men in art is something you rarely see apart from like ancient Greek and then it's sort of totally it seemed to be coded yeah or, or religious overtly like proud yeah. of what it is it's a bit like when we saw Mark Gatiss and we were talking about like crucifixion scenes or yeah. Saint Sebastian and stuff like that yeah. and often you would see the female nude and that's been so understood as being a sexualized kind of image yeah um, which is problematic in its own right, I guess. Yeah. So it, it's just really, his work has deeply, deeply touched me. And thanks to you, because you were such a big fan of his. Ah, oh, the biggest. Yeah, and still are, obviously. And yeah, now yeah, I'm yeah. But, you know, the last year or so, all you've been doing is telling me about him. Well, not and, all the time. Don't embarrass mm, me. But every now and then I just drop it into conversation. Yeah, yeah and you love his drawings, which yeah. he prolifically makes. And I've fallen crazy in love for his mm -hmm, drawings. Mm -hmm. We'd like to welcome to Talk Art, Louis Fratino. Hello. Good morning. Hi, How are Lewis. you? I'm really good. I'm in London for the second time ever. Oh, when was the wow. first time? Last fall. What was you doing here last time? Just seeing it. Oh. I, I came over for um, this fair that my gallery in Paris started called Paris International. Uh -huh. And I was like, well, it's so close to London. Yes. I've never been. Yes. Pop over. Yes. And I have um, quite a few friends who ended up here permanently who are American. And so I feel like I always have people to see. When I are they over. in the art world? or? Yeah, they. Um, two of them went to RCA. And right. and then ended up staying. So, have you seen them on this trip, this second trip? Yeah, you yeah, have yesterday. Yeah, oh, nice. Uh, Cecilia ended up in Broccoli, and so we went to Nunhead's graveyard, and it was really nice. What? Who did you see in Nunhead's graveyard? Is there anyone famous in there? She said a lot of like B-list Victorian. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love a B-list <laughs> yeah. Victorian. B-list <laughs> Victorian so is you like might have to dig a little bit. <laughs> That's our dream it. guest for talk art, any yeah. B-list Victorian. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're so happy to have you here today. As Rob said, yes, I am your 
one of your biggest fans. Thank you. And uh, I saw your work at Sikemba Jenkins in the States, and I've seen your work online a lot, and also on Instagram, which you've disappeared from. I did. I had kind of a New Year's freakout and got rid of all of it. Because you had, you had that, and you had a boys' drawing page, yeah. you, which is your sketchbook yeah. of, of men, boys, and then your one, which is your personal page, which shows you and your life and work you've been working on. But yeah. what, what, what caused this? Is it because we're going into a next decade, or...? Yeah, I don't know. I think I, it served me so well for such a long period of my life. Like yeah. my first show was from Instagram, or the the guy who ended up showing my work first saw it on Instagram. Oh, this wow. is Thierry Goldberg. Yeah, Thierry yeah. Goldberg. Yeah, and um, I know a lot of early collectors probably experienced that way. A lot of people. So it was something that was really good for me for a long time, but I think it really started to affect like how I was making the work or the context in which I was thinking about making the work. And I think I'm just curious about returning to a place where I don't have to think about it in a certain way. But, but you've never you've never really tested that because you've always had it there. Yeah, I've always had it. I've always and um and it also like encouraged me to make work. Like the drawing account, I would be excited to have people respond to it. And yeah. so it'd be like this drawing a day thing. Yeah. That's so interesting. Because you were born in nineteen ninety three. I was. And therefore you're your whole childhood, I guess, you were aware of the internet. And you're computers. a millennial. You're a, you're yeah. a solid millennial. Yeah. yeah. Whereas for us, like, I started discovering it in 1993, <clears throat> if that makes sense. <laughs> I remember getting AOL at that point. So for me, I had a whole bit that was all basically related to books or television, which right. was a big thing, and VHS tapes. But for you, I guess, the internet's just something that's part of life, which you, you, you've always known. Right. Yeah. And I feel like it really became part of our daily life when I became a young adult, mm-hmm. too. Right. So I have like foggy memories of life without it, like being able to read for four hours at a time yeah. or, or paint. And then that's something that I can't do anymore. So you find, I, I mean, I find it, you, you watch a movie or something at home and every like 20 minutes you're checking your phone exactly. and you're looking at Instagram definitely or emails or WhatsApp we have here, which in the States doesn't seem to be as popular, but here everyone is yeah, on WhatsApp. Yeah, WhatsApp's so popular. And that <clears throat> short attention span thing is just so insane. Right. So you'll work and then go and check your phone. Totally. Like, um... So I and the amazing thing about making artwork is you enter this kind of zen trance like yes. state when you're like kind of hit a the sweet zone. spot. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the phone really threatens that because mm. you are like oh maybe there's something someone's trying to reach me or yeah. um and I feel like I just want to experience that again. So or, what what has this detox felt like? Have you panicked at any point and thought I got oh. actually depressed? Did was, you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's I, like a come down. Yeah, yeah. I like, I did it before New Year's because I was like, I don't want people to think I did this for New Year's, but yeah. I totally did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a lot of people were traveling, so there weren't that many people in New York. And, and I was like, oh my God, I feel so isolated. I was like, I, like, do people, are they going to remember that I'm alive? Or like, and yeah, some yeah. friends did text me, like, are you okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Well, I'm glad that we connected because we connected on Instagram. Yeah. And then I messaged you and then Rob emailed you and then you disappeared. And I was yeah. like, well, thank God well, we I'm did so that. I'm so glad we, we got your phone number. Yeah. And that was a weird thing because I was like, if I had done this a couple of days before, I might not have done this podcast or something. Yeah, so there is, are all this kinds of things. life-changing podcast that you're yeah. doing. Yeah. I was like, well, I got that one in, so it can go. Amazing. So, yeah. in, in the last year, you've really come to prominence in a way. You know, not not through Instagram, actually, but through exhibiting in galleries. Through like, reviews. Yeah, and through reviews right. as well. But uh, like Sikima Jenkins in, in New York, which Russell and I went to, and they gave Russell this beautiful book which he's brought with him today. I saw that you have it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. such an incredible Amazing. book. Amazing. You're going to have to sign that for me, please. And, uh, for sure. And artworks. But you've really come to everyone's attention in a way. And 
And so how does that feel, this idea of being private and public? As we're talking about the whole Instagram thing, that's a very much interesting kind of parallel, isn't it? Like being very private and personal, and especially your work, because it's so autobiographical Mm. and intimate and and personal. And then suddenly you've got a world audience in a way. Um, How does that feel and how has it been for the last year? I think um, that has a big part of why I decided recently to maybe close myself off a little bit because I think I'm a pretty open person. It's like clear in my work that I want to share a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I started to feel like the work is where I want to be sharing that kind of thing. And I feel like using social media kind of scratches the creative itch. And it's like if I really want people to see these images or I want it, then I should be making work for it. Um, I think that also, I mean, not to only talk about Instagram so we can talk about some other things, but it was... I started thinking about everything of like, um, like cook, even cooking or seeing like my boyfriend lying in bed, and I was like, "This is beautiful. I want people to see." it. And then it's like, "Well, is anything for you anymore?" It's yeah. Like, what do like, you hold back? Right. Yeah. It's like, or can can you experience this and like enjoy it from start to finish without Recording, having yeah. to get anyone to approve that was a great thing? Or well, that's the thing when you see a concert and everyone's holding their phones up and they're watching the performance through right. their phone, even though it's happening in front of their eyes. It's it's definitely that is a a problem, I yeah. guess, in the way that we view culture now. Because right. we're all trying to record every moment, aren't yeah. we? And then we can share and it let with somebody other, later. Let other people to, know yeah, that we are trying experiencing to say, this. That was such a great moment. Yeah. I want to share this with you. Right. But yeah. it does become quite problematic in a way. And also, what's it like for, say, your boyfriend or, I don't know, your family or whoever you include in your work? Is, is that is that problematic as well for you? To like, see, to, to see yourself get, painted in these really intimate situations. Because they're very private kind of moments. Or, yeah. or are they fine with it? Um, I, I guess... To keep myself safe, I never really ask because <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah. Um, I think it, I had a boyfriend once who was like not as into it um, or felt kind of exposed. But I think my family feels very proud and like yeah. um, touched by it. And also, I guess it's such a big part of who you are because you are an artist, and it's like I feel like it's a very whole, complete you know thing mm. and therefore if you fall in love with you then i guess you fall in love with all of that side to you yeah and, and they I must love your work, work as well and all that it's stuff. so much about love or like i love this material i love this action i love this content i love this person so yeah it's kind of like i have no choice or something yeah um, but i don't know it is a kind of fine line between feeling like oh you should be honored versus like is this okay that <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, um, yeah 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 but, but i also feel like not being a photographer there's a different thing going on in my work where it becomes a relationship between the subject and art history and drawing. And so I feel like it's seen through kind of a different lens. Because I have recently started taking some photographs just because I love Hockney's photographs. I love that he was an artist who could do anything. Mm-hmm. Do you and like the was, collage ones he does? Yeah. Like the movement. Yeah, I think they're beautiful. Yeah, so. And and I want to be an artist who can kind of like, you know, Midas, like, touch anything and yeah, it becomes your work. Oh my God, that's one of my earliest memories of art is being in the school library when I was about 11 or something looking at, I think I'd just changed schools and I was looking at a David Hockney book and he had all these female nudes actually. I, oh right. And they kind of reminded me a bit weirdly of Madonna and that whole kind of pre-sex, kind of post-Vogue, that kind of era, like 1991, just before you were born, actually, that kind of time. (laughs) But I remember seeing those Polaroids, and it wasn't his paintings that I accessed first, it was those photographs. Right, And they were so unusual. And as a child, I was like thinking, like, how the hell has he created this giant image out of tiny pieces of Polaroids? It was like so genius. That's interesting, you struggling with that, because I've read somewhere that you 
had a fascination with um, children's books with the illustrations. Yeah. And you used to try and work out how they were able to maintain the same character through every page. Yeah, I remember that being an early frustration of mine, like as a 10-year-old, like wanting to illustrate books, but feeling like it never looks the same. They're never going to know it's the same character. It's so funny how I feel like in art, or at least in my practice, early problems never go away. Like I remember, you know, going through reams of paper, erasing so furiously that holes are burned into it, like the eyes. And it's like, the eyes aren't right. And it's like, it's kind of the same deal. It's like so much of the the face and the expression and the like emotional state of the subject is caught in like how you render the eye. Yeah, of course. Um, is that like is that for you the the in? That's the most important part of. I don't know if it's the most important part necessarily. I mean, I think in a painting, it's like a jigsaw puzzle that everything has to fit perfectly together to work. So it's not really, at least I feel like in my work, a spot that if it works, the rest can kind of. I don't know, be around it and Support be it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it is a really important part. And actually, you have very exaggerated features in your paintings and drawings. Yeah. And often it isn't, I mean, the eyes were the initial thing that I struck me when Russell introduced me to your work was like the giant eyes. There's that like recent portrait of you called me um, from last year, 2019, where your eyes are just these huge eyes and you've got this incredible shadow on half your face. But then as I got to know your language, which it is actually, you've definitely created your yes. own language, which follows on from Art modernism history. and Picasso yeah. and even like religious kind of saints or, yeah. you know, yeah. paintings. All You can see it all in there, but it's very distinctly Louis Fratino still, which is why it's so great for me. Like, and I enjoy it so much. But one of the elements that I think is quite unique with you is your enlarged kind of hands or feet and they're such tricky things to paint I, I think and often like even the greatest painters can have horrible hands <laughs> and people don't notice them because they're just you, you might look at the face in and, the pocket and even if I don't yeah. now, like I've never looked at your hands I've just yeah, noticed you're wearing a ring or something on yeah. your finger but like I didn't you know what I mean I don't necessarily look at hands straight away this well. is you a ring that at, appears in your paintings as well it is so yeah we know it's you yeah yeah because I feel like my figures because they're such a kind of potpourri of art history are hard to identify sometimes. So there may be a tattoo or a ring or the earring or the haircut. Will yeah, be the, the earring as well in your yeah. ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love your ears. My God, I'm obsessed with, like, in yeah, real yeah. life, <laughs> but in, in, in your like, work, thank the you. ears, I'm just like, I mean, I'm an ear person, you can tell, but it's, it's something about them that <laughs> I'm Russell's really... It's nickname. It's ears. the ears. I'm just completely drawn to them. I think they're, like, amazing. I feel like it's the one spot in the human body that you can totally abstract because it's sort of everyone's sort of different and it's yeah. such a strange bizarre i feel that way about trying to paint like machinery too so i just like don't understand how it works at all so i'm just kind of like chrome geometry and like <laughs> i feel like it's kind of the same with an ear it's like i don't really remember how that works so yeah. I, just I think once you paint them like a snail shell there yeah was one. I, I love that yeah i think they're yeah, yeah the snail shell repeats itself a lot too um like i remember one of the paintings from the april show the fist had turned into a snail shell or oh, yeah. um yeah I, I return to it a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm not sh exactly sure why. Um, I think there's, I think a lot about trying to place images of like gay sex into like biology or a natural history because I think that's part of what I'm trying to do is like put it into this universal context. Right. For so long, I feel like erotic gay imagery gets kind of sequestered into some corner that like pornography right or, yeah. right or it's like that's gay art history yeah and also i think there's a kind of element from the 70s 
maybe late 60s, 80s, where a lot of gay art had to be very kind of in your face and provocative and overtly sexual to sort of say, we're here, we're alive, like respect us, we are equal kind of thing. Whereas now it's getting, hopefully, I mean, not all around the world, sadly, but that's also why I think your paintings are so important because they're they're presenting, you know, romantic kind of intimate uh, you know, gentle kind of relationships as well as, you know, extreme, more extreme things. But but there is that kind of kindness to the whole thing, if you know what I mean. But that's right. definitely a progression from the history of gay and queer politics. Yeah, and it's something I feel like is really a privilege of my time. Like, totally. I don't know that I feel like I can own that as being like, well, thank God for me for, for noticing. It's like, no, these people had a different world they lived in that yeah. didn't allow those kind of things to be dwelled upon or even to to be enjoyed mm. um, in their own lives, I feel like. Or even, like, admitted to themselves. Exactly. You know, it's like that complete repression and not mm. being able to be who you are. Right. You know? I feel like um, this is kind of, this is such a complex thing, but I was thinking about it earlier in the year where it's like, you know, when you're you're gay and you're taught that you're abnormal, you think that you, you kind of, like, absorb all, like, I shouldn't love someone. Mm. So I feel like sometimes earlier gay communities were kind of like, we're above love or, or we don't, need it but i feel like it's the weird this weird sublimated like we don't deserve it kind of thing well it's totally. internal homophobia isn't it yeah it's internalized and you go well i i'm told i'm not deserving of that exactly. so i don't deserve it and i have i don't really respect myself or any of the community because we, not, we don't really exist right yeah, and i feel like yeah. there's this kind of feeling of being threatened or that there's this kind of like that romance those kind of things belong to the straight world yeah. not something that gay people have access to or should want and i feel like now we're in a time where we're kind of like no that's gr- that's a good thing. Yeah. I think also there's a thing that happens when you're younger and if you're not if it's not if you don't accept it yourself say so say yes. you're talking about internalized homophobia you build up this kind of strength and resilience and this kind of um warrior like kind of outer right. shell or something mm. that is very difficult to ever penetrate it's kind mm. of impenetrable. Right. And and that in itself is such a difficult habit to break if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it's so, so related it's, to actually an idea of masculinity that comes from heteronormative life. It's work. true. Yeah. And so it's like we have this opportunity to kind of cast that off. Um, yeah. And sometimes you don't. So do you think in your work, because there's this real sense of um, uh, attraction and um, kind of like memory and as a kind of theme, I guess, is, is like memory and somehow distilling like tiny moments of memory. And Russell and I just went to the Tate Modern and saw the last few days of Oliver Eliasson's exhibition, completely different artist to what you're making. But he had this room that Russ was really struck by. Can you remember that work? The kind of water that was... Yeah, the Big Bang Fountain, which is this... Um... Basically, it's strobe lighting which you get in a club. You know when you're in a club and strobe lighting goes off and you move your arm quickly, yeah. but you're capturing the like way that the yeah. iris is receiving yeah. the light, just mo- fragments. And he has this, it's a fountain that's constantly flowing, so you can hear it flowing, but there's a strobe above it and it's a dark room. And you're capturing this split second of like, of the fountain caught in its animation. Wow. And it's, it's phenomenal. It's yeah. so clever. So you see the water kind of like, it's almost like taking a photograph of the water right. as it's all splashing. Yeah, it's like but a it's stop actually, motion. Yes, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Stop motion, yeah. exactly. Yes, but it's live and you hear the audio of it moving. Oh, wow. So it's a completely bizarre phenomenon. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking about with your work is that almost like, they're almost like these snapshots or like tiny moments. But the thing that's so profoundly interesting like about captured, them, like yeah, like, yeah. but they're kind of moments that still feel like you could almost you're being touched yourself from looking at them. So the intensity of the senses in how you paint and the psychology behind mm. it is comparable to someone like Lucian Freud or the, that kind of generation of artists like Bacon or whatever. Bacon, definitely, yeah. yeah. Because, and I just find that, is that something like you thought about or is it just something that's instinctive within you? 
I think that it comes from a lot of the, like Freud, Bacon, Hockney, Picasso, you know, Mars and Hartley. It's like this particular stylization of the human figure that I'm just deeply attracted to intrinsically. Right. So it's not like really, as a fan or an admiration. Yeah, just yeah. something I, I'm, I'm drawn to right. without really knowing why. Um, so I think primarily it's from that, but it's making me think about talking about the eyes, where it's also about perception and painting is so much about trying to be so real about how we perceive the world that mm-hmm. it actually stops looking like the world because, of course, seeing is only one way we interpret mm-hmm. our environment. And right. I think, like the big eyes. It was just making me think about it when we were talking about it earlier that like it's the first thing you look at someone's face. So it kind of makes sense that if you would try to represent a face the way you experience it, it might be the biggest thing because it would force you to look at it immediately. Right. And I think that's the same with hands or feet or when you love something about someone in your mind, it probably does become enlarged or or it is a primary thing about that person. So I feel like in a way, even though it feels stylized or um, kind of warped or manipulated, it's maybe more about a real perception of someone or like a real experience of being near a body. It's right. the emotion. You're 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 containing the emotion, right? Because a this. body, it's like it does have all those associations. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's not like an object in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you're predominantly figurative, but do, I'm, I know there was a painting in that show that was of the Chrysler Building. But do yeah. you do you find yourself um, wanting to do more? like buildings or architecture or other things that like still life that aren't figurative or, or you like this is what I've got and I'm going to keep plowing this no I really want to stop plowing that <laughs> oh you <laughs> do yeah <laughs> I, or not not entirely I know that that's me at the end of the day it's kind of like the bread and butter of my work uh-huh. but I think that when you see 10 images of the same thing it kind of sucks some of their power a little bit and I think it's a lot like composing music I imagine where you need rest notes or you need things that you need a pause. taste slightly different mm-hmm. so that you can really see them again and I think that's the way I thought about the Chrysler building or the table painting yes love uh, the table painting so thank you this is but painting, still figurative yeah it's still, still figurative right have well and that's the thing it's like wow I made a painting with no people in it and it's like scattered with faces and, and it's people. like well and yeah. for listeners who haven't seen that image yet we'll post it on our Instagram but it's like a round kitchen table and it has plates and um, in a very modernist style it's yeah, very yeah. And, and then also it has like um, drawn you know drawings that Lewis would have made kind of like scattered across the table as well so you do see figures there but on the page it's an amazing work yeah yeah and I, I think that the modernist thing I called that painting my meal and I was sort of making a joke to myself about how we really do devour art history it was sort of like it's like a buffet kind of you have everything there that you can sample from that there's like a Mirandi flower there's the collage from the early like cubism and um so yeah I, I that's the way I think about art history in a lot of ways that it sort of belongs to everyone yeah. and we're all can eat it my favorite painting from that show was one called Metropolitan yeah which feels like it was your Guernica or your Nightfish and Antibes, which yeah. is my favourite Picasso painting in the world. I don't actually think I can picture that one. What? Oh, yeah, I... it's at MoMA. It's I think it's on the fourth floor. Okay, Rob's going to put it up on his phone. It's it's just happened just before the war, Second World War kicked off, and there's two people fishing in a boat, and there's two girls to the side, and it's the size same scale as Guernica. Oh wow! And it's like there, you've got to, it's the most. Have you seen that in the flesh? No. That's oh, my God. It's such an amazing it's one. It's my yeah. favourite painting in the world. Never that's so that. cool, though. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's incredible Thanks. painting. Yeah. We've mentioned it before on the podcast once or twice. Because it's literally one of Russell's it doesn't, it doesn't reproduce. 
when you sit in the flesh, right. it if if you're for you, it's going to floor you. You're not going to be able to cope. You know what? Russ is coming over to New York for the whole of this year, basically. So, and I'm going to come as well. We should all go together and see. Them. Yeah, that would be such a cool yes, thing to do. Sure. I would love to do that. But it's a, but the scale of it is like you're going to come, but it's it's uh, the Metropolitan Club, which is in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, I realized Nicole Eisman painted it also, and I was like, oh, this is cool that it's like this reoccurring motif in like queer figurative painting. Did she? Oh, cool. Yeah, there's one. I forget what the name of the painting is, but um, how long ago did she do it? I don't remember what. And you wasn't was aware like. until you'd done yours. I d- I found it like two weeks ago. Um, I forget what I, I think. I was just looking at her work online. Like yeah. she's a huge because you get comparisons to her as well, don't you? Sometimes gladly, yeah. Yes. L- luckily, yeah. Um, and and it was it's a figure in like a suit and a top hat, and then they're the kind of awning that comes out that says Metropolitan is in the background. And I was like, oh, it's. I'm so glad that like I'm part of this tradition of like yeah. representing this place. Yeah, but it's just the most stunning painting. Thank like, you. I don't, do you. Did that end up in a museum? I hope it did. I hope other people. It's get in to New York. That. It's in a private collection. In a private collection. But, okay. Yeah. And that's interesting talking about history. If we specifically think about kind of queer history and gay history, I've heard before you talk about this connection that you have with, you know, artists that might have died already or, or not be here anymore, but you feel this kind of connection to that to that past and yeah. that you want to somehow be connected to that history. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, particularly with artists like Martin Hartley or uh, there's like this American tradition of of painting that I feel like sometimes doesn't, get let into queer art history or or I've said this before too and it's like sometimes feel like people divide art history into canonical art history and then queer art history that it's like a chapter in the textbook or something mm-hmm. right I think somehow some artists even though they were queer people don't get it allowed into that because of the imagery or something and I think Marsden Hartley's one of them also like Howard Hodgkin mm. or yes. like people who were making images that maybe were not overt enough and I find that um really unfortunate because it's like this sort of narrow idea of what can be gay or what can constitute a gay artwork. And Howard Hodgkin is such a great example because his use of colour and his use of like, you know, shape and abstraction, but it, often they were portraits. And he, right. he and he he was so fascinating. There's this amazing documentary of him going to India um, that I think Imagine T, uh, BBC TV did, where you see him sitting for hours just staring at buildings and people walking out the buildings n- with no notebook, no photography, nothing. It's all his memory. Yeah. And he would do that and then he'd go back to England and make a painting of wow. that scene and his understanding of how he would pick out colours from the scenery and then also when he would do portraits say he knew Russell for example he would sit in front of Russell would sit in front of him and he would remember Russell in colour and then make a portrait of Russell in colour and the National Portrait Gallery last year did this brilliant not last year maybe two years ago did an amazing exhibition of his portraits which were like abstract paintings I mean it was such a brilliant show to kind of bring that out and And like you you say you understand them as portraits you see them as being so hot and like so it's like so full of like really lush color and yeah yeah, it's like that's queer too that's yeah totally you work from memory don't you I do I mean I have a variety of sources but I'd say primarily I work from memory and you always work from sketches most of your sketches turn into paintings do they yeah yeah sometimes paintings happen independently of drawing but typically and the ones that often end up happening the fastest are the ones that I kind of work out through drawing really and you, you draw like a lot a day yeah it's like a thing you just like it's automatic it's the only thing in life that can come yeah super automatically to me where I can just turn my brain off and just go and I feel like I discover so much of my vocabulary through that Um, 
I love drawing while I'm on the phone too because it sort of like promotes this sort of wandering Tele- Telephone line. doodles. Yeah, Your yeah. doodles are like masterpieces. <laughs> <laughs> telephone masterpieces. We'll yeah. yeah. And then when you were growing up, I read that um, Russell mentioned it earlier about this idea of illustration. So you were interested in illustration and like books that had drawings and things like that. And then it became this point in your life where where you had to think about, do I do both? or do Because other artists have done, of course. Right. And yeah, is I, that, was that quite a difficult decision? Not really, because I studied both at school. Yeah. Um, I majored in painting, but I got a minor degree in illustration at MICA. And I think towards the end of my degree, or getting my degree, I realized that I didn't really want to do work for other people. I didn't want people to say, oh, well, could you like lower this or make this more red or mm. something? Um, and I feel like illustration, you have to negotiate all of that. Yeah, compromise, um, yeah. So I was like... I want to be in charge of my image making, and um, you're edited by someone else, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. But I'm, but I feel like I learned so much from illustration because it does what I try to do, which is to say something real, but to use imagery that's kind of charming, or or it brings you this place of comfort or or joy, um, because it's for children a lot of the time. Mm. And yeah. So you have to be able to. Would like, you make a children's explain. book? Then would that be? Something? Yeah, I would love to. Would you? Yeah. Would you ever make an animation? I would really, really love to. Make would you? Animation. Yeah, I actually do. Um, I make like really short, looping animations, like flip books type. Yeah, I just make a lot of drawings, and it's so interesting to draw in that manner because for maybe three seconds yeah. of really slow animation, you have to make like forty-eight drawings. Yeah, it's crazy. So you, I mean, I'm someone who can't do a lot of like mechanical work. Like, um, I want immediate gratification. Yeah. So the drawings become super economic and like um, really made up of very little parts. And so it's an interesting way of like really paring yourself down to do mm. that kind of thing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com And you see you work quite quickly, even with the painting. Yeah. yeah. How long would a painting take to make it depends sometimes i mean the best ones can are usually like one or two sessions um but that's rare and what's how long is a session maybe in painting for four hours or something okay, like that wow. but typically i would say they take like three weeks if i could average it all out so i've got an amazing painting by you which i got from freeze art fair in london last year um which is called tom reclining yeah how long did that one take to make it's hard to know specific for specific works because I often I'm always working on maybe like fifteen to twenty at a time. Are you? Yeah, because I I think Matisse said like if you don't want to paint you shouldn't paint. And I think he was right. So if I feel stuck on something or that I just don't want to work on it, I I don't want to leave the studio, so I just start another painting or I just 
kind of flit around the studio and follow my eye. Wow. So so it's kind of, it's hard to know for work, individual works because they can sit in the studio for a year sometimes, right. and and even the figure will change. Like if that person maybe I'm not near them anymore yeah yeah exactly you don't fancy them anymore yeah (laughs) it can be kind of like a voodoo practice too i feel like where it's like well i feel differently about this situation (laughs) oh wow you kind of like work through how you feel about yeah Yeah. you get frustrated when you're making work um yeah definitely but i stop working when i become frustrated because i think i want the work to feel like it has this effortless quality or this feeling of joy Mm. when it was being made and i feel like the viewer can always tell like the mood the artist was in and sometimes it's to the benefit or if that's like the mood you're trying to talk about with the work but do you think you can sit at another artist's work then do you, you can read an emotion of what the actual artist was feeling when they were making the work i think so or i think the emotional state i'm in when i'm responding to a work i imagine would be similar to the one the artist was experiencing when so the artist it. can help take you to a place yeah 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 i think ultimately that's what painting does is like replicates an emotion or something like that Mm. or inspires it within the viewer amazing yeah i hope so having looked at the painting russell's talking about it's currently in his london apartment and it is extraordinary Mm. it feels like it's it's an amazing amazing work and we'll of course post it on our our instagram not yours because it doesn't exist anymore yeah (laughs) but it's hard to fit that one on instagram it is yeah (laughs) it's it's a a rectangular long shape yes a a man lying down a meter and a half Um, long it is but something that really struck me which is throughout your work is this idea of surface and you've even painted on like um lids of boxes and things like that which are some of my favorite work i think they're dreamy but um, you, 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 your mixture of materials. Can you talk a bit about how that came about? Because they are very linked to drawing your paintings, but you use all these different materials that create a very unique surface. Yeah, I think it's related to my like agitation in the studio, where if I'm, oh, I don't want to work on that, I don't want to work on this, and so I'm surrounded by 15 works that none of them I want to work on, then I'll just pick up a piece of trash, and I'm like, well, let's draw on that, and then I'll be like, oh, that's really nice, actually. <laughs> so it comes from needing to be making things, but not always like working on a painting there's so much pressure it's like you're inventing this whole world you have to be sort of accountable for everything everything you do and you can really go wrong really fast so I feel like it's nice to work on things that are just junk like on newsprint or on cardboard boxes or on the brown paper bag that my lunch came in Um, and I think that working on things like that also help you to get into the state where you're willing to risk a little bit more and then you can bring that back into the work that ends up becoming a lot more finalized. So it's less pressure and kind of frees you up to just be creative in a more natural way. Yeah, it reminds me of in school I studied lithography too and it's like you'd have to grind down this 200-year-old stone. It's a printmaking process. Oh, lithography. And... And by the time the surface was ready, you're like, well, I have like new muscles in my arms from like how exhausting that was. And like, I, I don't know what to draw. Like, I can't just make something. So I think I, I like working on cheap material. I like working on just found things because it allows me to be really free. Wow, that's such a good um, thing for like new artists to sort of think about, not as a strategy as such. That sounds really... Um prescriptive or something but but it is an interesting way because it must be really hard to sometimes sit in your studio in front of a painting a blank or something yeah, right. and feel the pressure well, of the world on your like shoulders really daunting like yeah. sitting in front of a, a blank page of your writers like, right what, where do i exactly, start yeah it's, and uh, it's one of those things that looms in your mind so much but then once you begin 
it, it just, just tumbles out of you yeah, in some yeah, way. Yeah. But it's that act, that first like deciding to move, and I feel like it. It's a lot easier on something that if you want to throw it away, you can, and you don't have to feel like you wasted nine hundred dollars. And where is your studio now? Now it's in Bushwick Ridgewood. It's like okay. um, right on the border on off the Decal Bell in Brooklyn. How often do you go into the studio? I try to go in like all week. I try to f- follow a pretty like regular schedule, like Monday to Friday, and then like a nine to five and like a, dinner, and yeah. then on the weekends I don't go. And what do you fuel yourself with in the studio? What do you drink and eat? We love to know what people eat in the studio. So I actually, I feel like I'm so bad at investing in my studio as like a comfy place to be. Right. <laughs> but now I'm sharing my studio with my boyfriend. Oh, and, right. And he's like so great about snacks. And like, he's like, we need seltzer, we need tea, we need tortilla chips, we need always salsa. We need, And I'm like, I, I can't have this around. I'm just going to eat all day. Right? <laughs> and that's what I do. Yeah. Um, but so Too generally, <laughs> you know, I'll go out. I like to take a walk in the middle of the day. So I'll get a coffee or something with my dog. I also have my dog in my studio. I love your time. dog. Your dog appears in your artwork she's, as well. She's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's a legend. What's her name? Margaret. Margaret. <laughs> Margaret. And I named her that when I was 14. Not after so that Thatcher. Gives you an idea. Not no. after Princess Margaret. She probably has crown. similar demeanor, though. She's, um, <laughs> oh, wow. Pretty we icy. have to meet her. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel. Uh, under pressure now with the way that your career is going that everybody is has super you've got a lot of light on you and there's a lot of people that want work from you and want to you to be involved in what their projects are um i think it's easy for me to identify that the only way it's going to work out is if i kind of tune that out right. a lot and try to rely on like really human interactions and um things that make me feel comfortable and like uh I think that was another part of trying to tune out a little bit of the communication about the work because I think it can take you to a place where you feel so much pressure, so much like pressure to perform, to be present, to respond to thousands of incoming things that I know that the only way that it's going to be sustainable is if I just follow my own instincts. Yeah. Um, so trying to like make my life more simple mm. and... Does, does being financially comfortable from like making work give you that sort of support in yourself as well that you can go, I don't need to respond to everyone because if, if I don't make that sale, it doesn't matter. It's like before when you were on Instagram, if you made a sale on Instagram, that might... Made a huge your, difference. Yes. Yeah. yeah now you're sure. like, okay, I don't, I, my gallery can deal with that and they exactly. can do the proper... Yeah, I think it was a weird transition too where you, know, you reach a point where the gallery really supposed to be taking care of all of that and yeah. they should. Be. It's like a fair trade um or split for the work and i think having this direct channel to an artist um complicates that and it makes it hard because then you feel like you have personal relationships to people but there's supposed to be this like third party that's involved and i think sometimes collectors try to take advantage of that a little bit Mm -hmm. um to be like well do me a solid and you know Mm -hmm. so I don't know though. I think I I feel like I have a good sense of what what's good for me. Yeah, great. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm 26. And you're part of uh, a little crew now yeah. that is really m- normalizing gay art. I mean, do you feel like it's becoming mainstream? Um. Yeah, I would say so. Which is a good thing, right? Well, normalize I think is a kind of bad word in some way. Okay. Because I think it. It's about making something more generic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that's not what's happening. Mm. I think 
we're at a really particular moment in gay history where there's this kind of choice we have to make where it's like, do we enter this society quietly and just kind of become it? Or do we try to alter the nature of the bigger thing now that we're part of it in some way? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a lot of responsibility and not <laughs> something I feel like I can answer yeah. on my own. But, but do you and your friends sit and talk about this like in a salon style? Do you like... I When I have studio visits with other painters, I feel like it does come up, yeah. definitely. Um, so I think there's, yeah, that, like I said, there's a lot of responsibility. I think the kind of imagery we choose to make now is going to have a big effect or, I don't know. On art history. On, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's go, it's going to illustrate a moment that now I don't think we really know what will happen. Hmm. That's really exciting though, isn't it? Yeah. It is really exciting. But it's scary. It, does, it is scary, but it yeah. does also feel like it's needed and it's the new. And to mention some of the names of the other artists, there's people like Salman Tor, who's, who's got an incredible show coming up at the Whitney. Yeah, I only know because Russ has already shown me some of the painting images. And also I follow him on Instagram. But um, And we're hopefully going to meet him in New York. I'm really excited at the end of this month. Um, but also D Doran. Doran. Doran Langberg. Doran Langberg and then Nikki Malouf. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Is Nikki gay? She's not. Oh, she's right. not. Yeah. Sorry. Let's take that one out. Yes. But, but she's great. I mean, she's, she's an ally. Amazing. She's an ally. Yeah. She's, a gay, she's gay friendly. <laughs> yeah. So, who, who else is there? Uh, who, who else is Nicole part of your... Nicole is she part of it? No. She's the next she's generation. She's maybe now. like a steward of it. Right. Yes. Yeah. I hope she wouldn't hate that I said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, my friend Anthony Kudahy, I think. Oh, yes. Um, he's great. Let's see, who else is making... I mean, there are so many people. I think in New York, too, it's like, yes. it's so easy to become... In, it's like, wait, ev everyone's gay, right? Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then you go home for Christmas and you're like, whoa. Whoa, hang on. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. But you all support each other. There's not a lot of rivalry or anything. No, I don't there? think at all. I think that's the main thing I was surprised about moving to New York. Um, living in Baltimore beforehand, there's a lot of discussion about going to New York. It's like, oh, it's like... You'll burn all your... I mean, it's so expensive. It is true that it's really difficult to yes. live there. And it's like... But the feeling is... It's kind of like having a horrible job where you hate your work so much that you bond with your coworkers very deeply and you're kind of all rooting for each other in some <laughs> way. <laughs> I feel like I was really welcomed by painters in New York, like right off the bat. They were like inviting me to be in group shows and I find that in New York is that uh, the emerging art scene is so well supported we have a lot of, well, obviously we have emerging art scene in the UK but it doesn't feel like there's the outlet or the support or mm. the kind of like camaraderie yeah or um uh community right that we that you have guys have in New York so whenever I go back there I'm always so welcomed and so like exposed to so much new art that it's, it's incredibly exciting the yeah. energy the, the energy that it allows yeah I think the sense is like you know, we love art. We want to see more of it being made. Yeah. And so, what? You know, why wouldn't you be supportive of your peers? And yeah. we had a fun fact come up for our British listeners who would know what these are, but you didn't know. So you're from a town called we'd call it Maryland, but you call it Maryland. Yes. Where you're from? And we were talking the other day, and I said, "Do you is that where the, you got the cookies there?" And you were like, "I don't understand what you mean by the cookies." <laughs> yeah. I said, "Maryland cookies." <laughs> you're like, "No." And then I screen grabbed the picture of some Maryland cookies that you can get at any supermarket, and you were deeply offended that, that we had plagiarized your hometown with these cookies that just don't exist. You no, know? not at all. I don't know where you guys got that from. Yeah, how, how you we? decided to take well, maybe noble there's... state of Maryland. Yeah, but maybe there's another place called that. 
but Maryland cookies, and it's like a pictures of like America on the yeah. back. Oh, it is. Well, it's got like an American vibe. That's crazy. Like, yeah. I think it's like a wagon. Oh my god! And stuff like we're gonna have to, like we're gonna have to send them to you. We're gonna, I'm gonna do research into that. Yeah. I want to find out. Yeah. Talking about New York being so expensive, it was actually in my mind when you were talking about your studio because you obviously how big is your studio? Because you've got lots of room for different paintings. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I think it's like 1,100 square feet. Okay. Nice. So the idea that people are now in Brooklyn or Flatbush or like you know they had to move out of the main part of Manhattan, didn't they? Or there's people up in the Bronx or in different places be- right. because of that pure reason because rents are so high yeah and when you first moved to new york as a young artist the reality of it is not what we've been talking about for everybody you know because you've you've now had, had major representation you're selling to museums and collectors so you've had kind of success at a young age in a way but i imagine it must be so stressful but when you first moved to new york you worked as an art handler and you worked at the guggenheim selling tickets yeah and what was that like for you as an experience especially at the guggenheim or behind the scenes of the art world did it like educate you and teach you things um I I really didn't like working in those jobs. I yeah. I don't know. I I think well like I was saying earlier where you hate a job, that's what I was thinking about and I did make really good friendships at them because of right. that. So you kind of bonded with people during that experience. Yeah, I'm trying to think what I would have learned necessarily. I mean, working as a ticket set, it really, I mean, I could have been working in a clothing store too. It was just like I was behind a computer all day having the same conversation over and over again. I mean, it is special to be in a museum, especially like a historic um, building. That was cool, but... Would you take yourself off and look at the art and everything? I normally go on my breaks into the... They have this room where they have every catalog of every show that's ever been there. So I would just spend a lot of time pouring over those so that was really fun can you remember any that particularly stuck out that you've carried in your memory I really loved the catalogue for the Picasso black and white show that was cool Um, it was a while ago it was when I first moved to New York in 2016 Mm -hmm. and only for three months so I can't remember that I guess it's like people who want to be on the stage but they work front of house they're ushers is it that sort of vibe where you want to have work in the museum but you're there kind of working yeah yeah it's funny i feel like it's like it wasn't a very well-paying job it was kind of difficult work um in terms just for your body but i think the proximity of the art world makes it seem like i guess this is where i should be like um but it's hard i think museum working in museum is really difficult i don't think there's ever enough money for what's going on mm. and I I don't know I don't I think I heard the new museum just unionized which is great because I feel like often museum staff uh, or workers don't get treated properly right. mm. and I'm glad that I got to get out of there kind of quickly yeah, to be yeah, honest yeah. I, I almost feel like if you're a young artist the best thing to try and do is work with another artist as like an assistant yeah even though you might think it's going to take up time away from your um, your own practice or whatever. I think that connection with other artists is so important. Yeah, and if you, you think of the great artists that have come out of that, like Virginia Overton with Wade Guyton or like, um, you oh, know, right. people that have worked with Catherine Bernhardt, they're, yeah, they're all yeah. now doing their own shows and stuff like Travis Fish and other fun people. But, yeah. you know, there's that kind of history. Even Lena Dunham used to work for Lisa Yuskovagi. Oh, wow. And I know she's not like mainly an artist. She does make watercolours, but, you know, she was a creative person that yeah. then worked for another creative person. Yeah. So it's a nice, I think that could be a safe environment, particularly when you do have an industry now that is you know a lot of artists do make a lot of money right. and there's loads of artists that work for Jonas Wood in, in New York and Mary Weatherford and I've discovered their work through those well Andy more... Warhol back in the day a lot of yeah. artists oh, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. factory didn't they yeah. but I, I loved with Mary assistant for oh, you? Yeah. a year when I lived in Berlin and I think that was yeah I learned a lot about running a studio and kind of 
what a daily life could look like as a painter. Um, what was Berlin um, like for you? Yeah, it, coming to Europe, yeah. It was good. It was really, it was amazing. Um, I graduated from college and then I was on a Fulbright grant to Berlin. And it was a dream. I mean, no one that I know gets to just graduate and then live life like a full-time painter for a year. Mm. Um, I think it without it, New York wouldn't have happened the way it did too because I had this year worth of work that was made independently of school that I could say, yeah, I'll be a part of that. Yes, I'll be in the show. I had all these paintings that I'd wow. made. Wow. And that was a paid residency, was it? Like a It it was. It was um you get like a monthly stipend. Um I think when I was a student, I was like, wow, this is gonna be so glamorous, but it was not a lot of money. And so that's why I also had to be a studio assistant when I was there. Okay. Um and who it, who were you working yeah. for? Tom Anholt. Oh cool. He shows at Eigenart in Berlin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's do a great you like painter. his work? Do, do yeah. you fan the work? Yeah. Well, yeah, that was kind of how I ended up happening. I arrived and I was kind of fresh faced and I was like, I'm going to meet all the painters of Berlin. And he was one that I wanted to meet. And um, I actually, he was like, kind of didn't work out. And I was like, I really, really want to come. He was like, oh, yeah, sorry. And then, and then we hit it off and he was like, I actually need some help, but mainly I feel like he just gave me advice and bought me lunch, which was a <laughs> That's nice super job. generous, yeah. though. Isn't yeah. It? Wow. Yeah. Your experience could have been totally different if someone hadn't have sort of done that, taking you under Definitely. their wing. Definitely. Yeah. He, I think he it was so generous with me. He was like, I see something in your work and um, happy to talk about my work and respected my voice, even though I was like 21 oh, so and great. wanted to ask me about what he was doing. Wow. And, Do yeah. you still stay in contact? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever he's in New York, I see him. And, Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's great. So what's next for you? What what are you working on now? I'm actually in this period where I don't have much for the year, which is good, I think, because I can not make work that I feel like has to fit into a specific body of work. So talking about making those works that are like rest notes or kind of depart from my usual subject matter, I feel like I can do without this pressure of like, if this doesn't fit in, am I, mm. well, I've wasted time or something mm. like that. So... I don't think the next big thing will be my first institutional show, which will be in Des Moines, Iowa, actually, at the Art Center there wow. in 21. Great. So it's, so it's a long stretch of time. Yeah. yeah, And that'd be a whole new body of work, or will you be taking pieces from... I, I want it to be. Yeah, um, right. I I think it's, it'll be a pretty big show, so we'll probably be borrowing work too, but I want to treat it like a, a solo show. Amazing. That's very exciting. And it yeah. is good sometimes to have space <clears throat> just to be an artist again definitely and not have to constantly have all these, these yeah because you, know, you must get asked to be in so many group shows now and also everything. art fairs I just saw your painting at Art Basel Miami yeah which is what it really struck me that painting it's you, you. is it you it's yeah. self-portrait yeah it's you oh, I didn't want to say in case it was your boyfriend yeah. but I was yeah. like no it's you uh, it was you in a landscape and it was just the most beautiful kind of lush green it really tropical yeah. and because it was so hot there and I'd gone to Miami via Puerto Rico I'd just been in like a um, tropical place I was in the rainforest yeah. so I had this deep connection to it and I called Russ and was like it's all clicked. Like, you keep yeah. teaching me about this Louis Fratino guy. <laughs> How important is color to you? I mean, color is the main thing in painting in some way. Mm -hmm. I mean, drawing is really where it's about line and and volume, I think. I work all that on drawing. But then when you decide to make painting, it's really 100% color in some mm -hmm. or Or at least the things I don't work out in drawing all come from that. And I often start the paintings, if they don't come from drawing, they come from color. Like, if I don't know what to do, I've got a lot of leftover paint or I just and I just start working. It'll be the color that brings me into like a temperature or a piece of some kind of weather or something that mm -hmm. will just get me associatively thinking and then I'm like, "Oh yeah, that that morning or that that afternoon or or something like that." So, it's really a leading thing I think in generating nice. paintings. And do you carry a sketchbook around with you? 
Yeah, generally. Um, I didn't bring one to London, which what? I'm kicking myself for doing. I think I'm going to get one so that I can draw on the, on the plane back home. But. I think people should get your book as well, because the book in front of me is literally like September 18 to January 19. Yeah, I have 19. some drawings from London in this one. Do last you? Year. Yeah. So this is like your sketchbook, right? Yeah. It is this your sketchbook this, that they've just basically printed? This is exactly it. Wow. Yeah. So it's a facsimile of your sketchbook. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of these amazing. appear in shows. Like yeah. the minute, there's one in there that you skip skip past this in Nicholas Party pastel show yeah. that he curated. I yeah. saw that and I was thinking a lot as yeah, well that because one's hackney. your drawings that's often hackney. Yeah. That's so funny. And is this a random man or is this someone you He's knew? a friend. He's yeah. a friend. <laughs> so is your sex life as good as you depict in your in your work? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I think it seems pretty hot. I think the you know, work is paintings are really powerful objects, and I think that I use them in a way that's sort of like talismanic or something. Where it's like, if I want something out of life, and if I'm going to pour all this emotional energy into something, I want it to be something I want, or I want it to be something I've really enjoyed and want to hang on to. And that's why I think you get these feelings of like fleeting moments where it's like, that was so exquisite, that felt so good and so magnificent that I want to do justice to it, but also like hang on to it by making the work. And so. I think I focus on things that, you know, of course I do a lot more than lay around naked, but mm-hmm. but it's like the, those moments are things I want to manifest more or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think I use painting to lead me into love or something like that. Wow. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I'm so glad we spoke with you. I've loved this interview. We ask every guest that <laughs> yeah. comes on two really important questions. The first one we ask is, if you could do an art heist, do you listen to Talk Art? Have you heard any of them? I actually am embarrassed to say I haven't done it yet. But <laughs> that is terribly, deeply <laughs> embarrassing. We're, really we're so upset. But you'll listen to your own when it comes yes. out, I'm sure. But, and uh, the other ones. And the sure. other ones. But um, we ask every guest, if you could do an art heist, there's a touchstone artwork in the world that you can have for yourself legally take it and live with it. What would it be and, and why? And it can be huge or small. We can get cranes, anything. Oh, I think it would be, oh man, it would be a Vermeer. Oh. It would, I think that those are really perfect paintings. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think it would be the one in the Met that, I can't remember the name of it, which is embarrassing, but there's like the blanket that's on the table. Yeah. It's kind of folded and the woman's face is down and there's the light moving across the wall. It's like she's in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. it's so beautiful. I think he, yeah, um, let's see which one it is. Rob's just pulled the images up on his phone. Oh, man. This one. What's it called? A Maid Asleep. I would love to have that painting. I would love a to see that painting. A Maid Asleep. Wow. So Johannes Vermeer. It's so beautiful. So it's this one here. It's got my favourite thing, which is oh, a patterned wow. tablecloth. You, yeah. you love a tablecloth. <laughs> I love a pattern. I love that painting. I feel oh, it's like... gorgeous. The that... light's incredible in that painting. He's someone who I feel like I'll I'll never understand how those paintings were made. And it's like a level of perfection that hasn't happened since and maybe never will, I think, for Vermeer. I mean, the light is so soft and beautiful. You feel like you're in that room. And, yeah, so and it's so realistic. It's, it's so, so exquisite. It's like a mood as well. Yeah. My favorite time of day, too. This, like, you can't tell if it's dusk or it's morning and they're just resting and and... I love that painting. Yeah, you have that. them, and you, you have that mood in your paintings a lot. That you kind of it's between asleep and awake. Like, yeah, I don't know what time of day it is. Yeah, that post-sex feel. Right, this yeah. kind of like reflection, of, like on or you feel so surrounded by love and everything, separate from the yeah. rest of the world. It's just yeah. you two or you three yeah, or in whoever. A, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in yeah, a bubble. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And the other question we ask is, what is your favorite color? My favorite color is probably like a deep yellow, like uh, ochre. Really? Oh, yeah. Nice. And why? I 
I don't know if it's because I'm red green colorblind and I mostly see yellow because like any orange or any green that has only a fraction of red or green light in it comes out as yellow. So, really? Yeah. So That's it really affects my ability to paint from observation because I don't see actually. So you never see your own paintings like people? No, I don't. See That's them. fascinating. Yeah. So luckily it seems to be working out. Yeah, <laughs> your palette is working. I like the idea that actually I'm like a terrible painter, but because <laughs> yeah, of this yeah, one yeah, thing, yeah. people are like, that was such an interesting choice that I have no idea that I did. <laughs> what the color is. Yeah. <laughs> that is actually fascinating. Yeah. That's amazing. But I think it might be because of that. Cool. I see it a lot. And I don't know, it has also this sort of warm, mem- I feel like anything that feels kind of like, has a, like, an aura of memory is a bit yellow, like because of photography, the way it yellows or, or sepia, old paper, like, yeah, 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 understanding yeah, yeah. like yeah. vintage textiles or yes, it's yeah, also it's like a, an aged kind of yeah, a color that's very natural, like it's an e- the easiest one to make from organic material. So mm. I love that about it. Yeah, you can make it from like jackfruit. You, I think I from think so many like things, yeah, so many yeah. different things, or just yeah. clay, like just yes. from the earth. It's um, yeah. I like that about it. Well, that is a very grounded way to end this. But what else have you got planned while you're in London? I actually leave tomorrow morning. Oh. I think I haven't been able to go to any museum since I've been what? here. Well, you're only here for like two days, though. You're for a wedding. So yeah, I came like for the wedding, quick. and then I really overdid it at the wedding. And <laughs> so you should. Yeah, yeah. Didn't get started till about 2 p.m. yesterday. Right. And then I saw some friends, which was really relaxing and nice. Mm-hmm. Um, the first day I came here, though, I wanted to go... First, I wanted to see the Blake show. Yes. Then I realized, oh, that's a bit far. So then I was like, I'll go to the V&A. Then the one of the stations was closed. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm at home. And then, so I couldn't go there. And I was like, I'll go to the Whitechapel show. I want to see this figurative painting show. But that's not actually on until a month. Yes. So like, the group show. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, it's gosh. It's a funny time of year. Like, as yeah. it's a new year. Like, everything kind and of shows are closing. Or, yeah, I mean, shows are closing right, or yeah. beginning and they yeah, haven't started yeah. yet. Yeah. Well, you saw us, so that should yes. be a culture. Yeah, that was the highlight. Yes, it's been a real privilege to oh talk God, with you. I've loved it. I'm super, super inspired and blissed out right now. Yeah. And um, for everyone listening, you can see images um, of Lewis's work on our Instagram at TalkArt. You won't be able to see them on his because it's gone. But um, you should look at Sycamore Jenkins or yeah. Antoine Levy. We well, can always check the hashtag. Yes, Lewis you can Fratino actually. Yeah. Yes, look up the hashtag Lewis Fratino because I did that myself last night and it's actually a really different experience since you've left because now you don't have any of the ones you've posted and it's all like collectors who have bought your works oh, okay. and you see like art handlers bringing in paintings to the house. It's oh, really yeah. bizarre. I'm really curious. It's really good. Have you never done and it? Then, oh, it's great. The well, nice thing about I, it... if it's changed. I mean, I, Oh, I'm I, curious if it's changed. Yeah, yeah. The nice thing about it is that you're seeing fans of your work. So you see people going to a show and then saying, I love this painting. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of enthusiastic responses. So in a way, maybe you shouldn't look at it because yeah. it's probably going to make your ego too big. <laughs> yeah. But um, we would like to say thank you so much. For yeah, we're, we're big you guys. fans. Um, thank we'll, you. We'll be back very soon. Thank you, Louise. Okay, bye. 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 so You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moon.
Moonpig.com